This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Welcome to our guests, and uh, we are in the second Sunday of a series uh, entitled Turn the World Upside Down, and uh, learning about what it means to be a missional church, what it means to be missional in my life and share the gospel as the uh, first missionaries did in Christianity. Acts chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 6. So I'm going to have you read, follow along with me as I read in just a moment. But leading up to where we were last week, we've got Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, these three men who have left the church at Antioch, sent out by the by the pastors, the leadership there, the teachers and the prophets, uh, called out by the Holy Spirit to go out as uh, the first missionaries. And, and this is really the first missionary movement as we see it being launched and on its way. And you, you might think, um, you know, I, I kind of think this way, well, here's, here's men that Jesus has called out and said, I want you to go. The Holy Spirit has, has given them the power to do so and set them apart. The church has prayed over them, and they're sending them out. They've got Jesus' commission that they're going to follow. They're doing what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, and that's what they're doing. We're doing what Jesus wants us to do. And they're going using the strategy that Jesus gave in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. They're doing everything just like the Lord wants them to do. And you might think, we think this way sometimes, let's be honest. If I'm doing everything in my life that I know the Lord wants me to do, I really think that my life ought to go without a hitch. I really believe that my life ought to, I ought to travel my life with no speed bumps, no potholes, no detours, everything's just going to go great, and I'm going to be happy all the time, and, and nothing tragic is ever going to take place, no surprises. It's all going to be really neat if I'm doing what God wants me to do. Do you ever really, honestly, don't raise your hand, but do you ever think like that? I do. And then when something pops up in my life, and I, and I go, God, where did that come from? I mean, I'm even tithing. Come on, Lord, give me a break. You know, how come this happened in my life? We, we kind of have this mentality sometimes that if I'm following Jesus and doing everything that he wants me to do in my life, nothing bad happens. Well, as we're going to see following these missionaries who are doing everything that we know that God wants them to do, they're even, the Bible will tell us, they're filled with God's spirit, they're under his control, stuff happens to them and in their lives. That's the life that God has called them to and the life that he's called us to. Some of you are going to think, yeah, but there were missionaries. I'm not a missionary. Why do I need to hear this? Well, here's the deal. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he has commissioned you to be a missionary. If you're a believer, you're a missionary. That doesn't mean that all of us are called to sell our homes and move to a third world country and live in a grass hut with a mud floor. That's not what that means. But what it means is, as a missionary, I've been given the responsibility to take the gospel wherever I am, whether it's right here in this town or, or in this county or in this region, wherever I live, I'm commissioned to live as a representative of Jesus Christ and bring the gospel into other people's lives. I'm a missionary. 
you are as well. But guess what? Being a missionary isn't easy. Wasn't then, it isn't today. And these opening verses of this first missionary journey let us in on what missionaries, whether it's people that do go to other countries and, and travel, whether it's like Stan and Sandy Annaby, who are missionaries that we that we support here. They're in they just left about six months ago and they are living in on the island of Borneo. Right? I think that's in Indonesia. And they are they are there amongst people whose religion is very hostile to Christianity. That's where God has led them. People like Don and Mary DeHart, who have been up in Native America for the last 30 years in a very, very difficult field to present the gospel because of what the white man's gospel, so-called, did to their people for 200 years. And they have a hard time accepting the truth that God really does love me and, and what, I, what those people did to me in no way really represented Jesus. Don and Mary have been up there trying to break down some of those walls with the love of God. He may not call you to go in places like that, but he's called you to your neighborhood. He's called you to your workplace. He's called you to, to your school. And you're going to find that if you take on this commission that you've been charged with to be a missionary, Christian, that you are going to face some of the very same, very real obstacles and struggles that these guys faced 2,000 years ago. So we need to learn from them. So that's why this morning lessons all missionaries should know. Look with me at verse 6, where we left off last Sunday. When they, and they is Paul and Barnabas and this young man, John Mark, Barnabas' nephew, uh, a cousin, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, that's the island of Cyprus, they've gone west to the capital city of Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a magician. Somebody did magic as though it was, and, and, and represented it as being something from God. Luke tells us not only was he a sorcerer, which was condemned by Jewish law. You can go back to the Old Testament and realize they said, sorcerers, take them out and stone them. Because they're false, they're not real. They represent something evil. This sorcerer, who was a Jewish, Luke tells us, false prophet, he knew the law of the Old Testament. He knew it was wrong what he was doing, but he did it anyway. You ever know anybody like that? You know what it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway? Oh, wait, let's hold up a mirror and look at ourselves sometimes, right? He was a Jewish false prophet named, this is, this is so ironic, his name is Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. Does not mean the Jesus that we know, Jesus Christ. There were a lot of people in those days named Jesus or Joshua. Yeshua is the Hebrew. Jesus is the Greek. Just like, for example, in, in the Hispanic community, you see a lot of guys named Jesus. Well, they don't think they're the son of God, right? But they're just named, that's their name. His name was son of Jesus, so his daddy's name, wherever, Cyprus probably was Jesus, there's this man, this Jewish false prophet. He was with the proconsul. Proconsul is a, is a Roman official who lives there in the capital city of Cyprus, Paphos, and he represents the Roman government, a very influential man named Sergius Paulus. And Luke describes him as an intelligent man. Now, you would think somebody that has that position is probably, probably is intelligent. He's very well respected. He you know, has a lot of power and influence there. He represents Caesar. He's there in this city. And he's an intelligent man. But that also tells me this, because he is following around this sorcerer. He's, he's learning from the, he is enamored with this false prophet, even though he's an intelligent man, which tells me this. Dumb things can attract smart people. Or let's put it the other way around. Smart people can be attracted to things that are really stupid. 
things that are really wrong. This man was an intelligent man, and yet he's hanging out with this false prophet. This man, still in verse 7, Sergius Paulus summoned Barnabas and Saul. I want you guys, he's heard that they've been teaching in the synagogue. Why don't you come here and tell me your message? I heard it's different. I want to know, what's it about? He desired to hear God's message, the gospel, but Elymas, that's the, the sorcerer's name, is probably like Elymas Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus is his last name, Elymas, which means wise man. Elymas opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the gift. He did what he could to keep Sergius Paulus from hearing the gospel. Interesting thing here. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, this is the first time Bible students, the first time we hear him called by the name of Paul. Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not doing this on his own. Filling of the Holy Spirit means he has control of your life. He's he's taking over. He's leading you. He's guiding you. Your words you speak are what he wants you to speak. The way you act is how he wants you to act. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He stared straight at the sorcerer. I mean, he just looked him eyeball to eyeball. He didn't flinch. He didn't blink. He stared him down. I'm sure it probably made this guy a little bit nervous, and it should because of what was about to happen. He stared intently at the sorcerer and said, you son of the devil. I think Paul knew, this is ironic, that his name is son of Jesus. You're no son of the Jesus I know. You are son of the devil. Where do, false religion, where does it ultimately come from, folks? It's satanic in its origin. You son of the devil, you full of all deceit, you're a liar, You're a fraud. You're the enemy of all righteousness. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight ways of the Lord? You've come in here to this place. You're pretending to be someone from God, but you are not. You're a fraud. You're a deceit. You're you're perverting the straight ways of the Lord. This guy had grown up. This guy, Elymas, Bar-Jesus, had grown up knowing the word of God. And yet he was taking it and he was perverting it. He was turning it into something that it was not. And I love how Paul, you know, Paul is such a calm, easygoing guy. Paul is, and he's filled with the spirit. And Paul says, can't we just all get along? Can't we just love one another? You're okay and I'm okay. Let's all just be friends. That's not what Paul does. He stares the guy down and he tells him exactly who he is. He minces no words. He says, you are everything that's wrong. And then he doesn't stop there. Paul was one of these prophets that we read about in the first part of the chapter there in the church at Antioch. And he says, now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You're going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. He predicted what was about to happen to him. You're going to be blind for a time. Now, it's not going to be permanent. And suddenly a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Boom. You're going to be blind. Suddenly he could no longer see. Now, Sergius Paulus is sitting over here, and he's watching all this. And he's going, whoa. Whatever Paul's got is more powerful than whatever this other guy has. And says, I want to hear more about what you've got 
to say, and I want to hear this message. And then verse 12 says, the proconsul, seeing what happened, believed and was astonished about the teaching about the Lord. Here's, some, here's a lesson. Number one, lesson we can learn from missionaries, something we should all know. Number one, there are two polar opposite reactions to the gospel message. Two in this story. Number one, and this is the good part, God has prepared someone who's open to hear and receive it. There are people everywhere we are in life who are ready and open to hear the gospel and to receive. They just need to hear it. We just got to tell it because they've been waiting for this. I can't tell you how many people I've shared the gospel with and they have said to me, I've never heard this before, but I want to believe that right now. First time I've heard it. This is what I've been looking for. I've been going to church all my life and I've never heard this before. How in the world is that? This guy Sergius Paulus was open to hear and receive it. God had prepared him. God has prepared people in your lives that are ready like Sergius Paulus. But the other thing is true as well. Satan has prepared some to interfere and oppose it. There are also people out there that don't want you sharing the gospel, that, don't, that are going to try to stop you. They'll mock you. They'll do whatever they can to discourage you. If they know somebody that you're witnessing to, they'll do all they can do to convince them, don't listen to what that Christian's got to say. It may be that person's husband or wife. But there are people always, Satan does not want anyone to be saved. Next Sunday, we're going to be baptizing some folks here at Nags Head Church. And the devil's not happy about that. Why? Because these folks have trusted Christ as their Savior sometime earlier in their lives, and now they're willing to say in front of all of us, I'm a believer, and I want everybody to know it. I'm standing up for Jesus. He, does you think he wants that? No, because he knows there's another potential missionary. There's another person that's going to go out and share the gospel with somebody else, and they're going to believe, and I keep losing this battle. The sorcerer was a magician. He used tricks to gain power and money. And he was all wrong. Even though he, had, he was Jewish and he knew everything about the word of God, he was wrong. And here comes Paul and Barnabas, and, and with a lot of courage, being filled with the Spirit, Paul takes a stand against what's false and evil, and that does take guts. But look where Paul got the courage. It wasn't something that Paul drummed up, drummed up in himself. It was from the Holy Spirit's control of his life, and he stares down this guy, and he calls him all these names, son of the devil, you liar, you deceiver, you fraud, you enemy of everything that's right. He charges him with perverting the way of the Lord. He did something that got the seeker, Sergius Paulus, attention, Uses his ability as an apostle to work a miracle and cause the man to go blind temporarily. And that was just enough to convince Sergius Paulus of the truth of the message that Paul and Barnabas brought, the gospel of Jesus. It was just enough to convince him of that as it was to punish Elymas for trying to stop Paulus from hearing the gospel and believing God was in control of all this. And Sergius Paulus, a man of great influence, in the capital city of the island of Cyprus, accepted Christ as his Savior. And here's what would happen. This man accepts Christ, a man that a lot of people work for, a man that a lot of people respect. He's an intelligent man. And now he's a Jesus follower. Likely others who looked up to him are going to find out about this and say, now tell us again, what, are you, uh, what has changed your life? And he'll be able to tell them. And Christians are going to start growing and multiplying in the city of Paphos. 
Look at verse 13. Paul and his companions, Barnabas and John Mark, set sail from Paphos and come to Perga in Pamphylia. Now they leave the island of Cyprus, they sail north, and now they're on the subcontinent of of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. John, John Mark, however, left them and went back to Jerusalem. Let me stop there and, and say that the lesson here is this. Being missional takes courage and commitment. The three of them got up there, and then the young man, John Mark, he wasn't one that was called by the church to go. He went as their assistant. He bails on them. We don't know why, but he went home to back to Jerusalem. Why, you know, we, we can conjecture why. Maybe Mark, maybe frankly, Mark was, uh, bore some, some prejudice, some bias against the Gentiles, and he didn't like the fact that he's Jewish, he's from Jerusalem. He didn't like the fact that Gentiles are coming to Christ, and maybe he's got an issue with that. Maybe he's homesick. He's a young man. Maybe he misses mama. That could be. Maybe he knows, look, we've been opposed on our very first stop where we really spent any time. There was opposition. And it's probably only going to get worse as we go ahead. And, and, and I'm really not into that. I'm, you know, this has not been easy. But he was the first casualty in church missions, and there have been many, many, many more in the 2,000 years since. In fact, Paul saw Mark's departure as such a lack of whatever it took to serve the Lord that Paul, when they got ready to go on their next trip, and Barnabas said, let's take John Mark with us again. And Paul said, no way, Jose. He's not going, not with me. No quitters are going with me. We're going, and we're going to take on, and and there's no looking back. We get to chapter 15, we'll see that story and see that it actually split this missionary team of Paul and Barnabas. I don't want to judge Mark. Because if I do, I'm judging myself. But I don't want to paint a false picture of what following Christ about is either. I I want us to know it's not for wimps. If you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to be a missionary, it's for real men and women. When you made the decision to live a missional life as a Christian or when you do, whether it means leaving home and going to another country, where they may not like Christians, they may not like Americans, or if it simply means taking the risk to share your story and the message of Christ with a coworker or a friend, you're going to be taking risks. And it does take resolve not to bail, not to quit. I'll be honest, for me to do what I'm doing right here today, standing up in front of you in this building that was built for this purpose, in a place where we still have this freedom to do this, this is not a fearful thing for me to do. I really am not afraid that anybody's going to hurl stones at me this morning or anybody's going to try to take me and beat me up or do anything like that. I'm, I'm not scared of that because it just hasn't ever happened before. I, you all love me. I'm not afraid of that, you know. It's not a fearful thing, but I'll be honest. Um, it would be, it can be a fearful thing to just one-on-one go to an unbelieving friend or go to a neighbor and explain to them that Jesus died to set them free from sin and he rose again to give them eternal life. It would be, I'll tell you the truth, if God called me and said, I want you to go to China where they persecute Christians. I want you to go to India where it's not easy to be a Christian or, or the Middle East 
gosh, where they're killing Christians left and right or Africa. If God said, I want you to go there and, and, and bear the cross of Christ, and, and I want you to go there and proclaim the gospel, I want you to go there and represent me to a Muslim country, I, I, I would be fearful. I, I'm just telling you the truth. It would take a lot of courage and commitment. But here's, here's what I want us to see, and I want you guys, you men, to notice this because there are a lot of people in our culture, in our society, in our world, especially men who think Christianity is for the weak and the dainty. You look how they portray ministers in movies that, that we see in the, on the theater, in the theater, on television. They're always these sissified guys, you know. Men think that Christianity is for the weak, weak and the needy, and I would encourage you, if you're one of those men, if you know somebody, I would encourage you, get a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Go back and read some of the history of how we got to where we are today in the last 2,000 years, how we simply have this Bible in the English language and read the stories of real men and real women who said, I will not back down. I will not deny my Lord. Jesus Christ is the one and only God. And because of that, they were burned at the stake. They were cut and quartered and separated and the pieces of their bodies sent to all parts of the world to say to people by the government or whoever, even by the established church, don't believe this stuff. Read Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 12, about what happened to those folks. It takes a real man, it takes a real woman to be missional in our lives. Read those stories of the heroes of the faith who stood up for Christ when they knew it would come at a great cost. Verse 14. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Antioch. This is a different Antioch from where they had left. Antioch, where they came from, was in Syria. This is in Pisidia. This is in Asia Minor. On the Sabbath day, Saturday, Sabbath for the Jews began sundown on Friday, ends on sundown on Saturday. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue where the Jewish people would congregate, and they sat down. And after the reading of the law, the law being the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, that's called the law. They read the law, and then they would read from the prophets, the Old Testament prophets in the back part of the Old Testament. When they read from the, from the law and from the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, to Barnabas and Paul, they, these guests that had come in, and said to them, brothers, if you have any message of encouragement for the people you can speak. If you'd like to get up and share something from the law of the prophets and teach us a little bit, we'd love to have you do that. Number three in your notes, relationship building opens doors. What's happened here in just this little part? Some call this, the title, the word that some call this is pre-evangelism. They have not shared the gospel with these people yet. So they're building a bridge, if you will. Building relationships, and building relationships opens doors. Pre-evangelism, they, they did not immediately go right into a gospel sermon. First, what they do is they build a rapport with the people there in the synagogue. They are forging a relationship, even though it's very quick and brief, but they are saying to them by what they're about to do, you know, we're all Jews here, except for you Gentiles who are who are gathered here with us, and Paul's going to—he's going to identify them in just a moment and welcome them. We're all Jews here, and and even though Barnabas 
and I are strangers to this city. We've never been to Antioch before. We don't know you. We are all together sons of Israel, and we share the same heritage. We love the same God. So they build this bridge that, you know, they're not here to do anything but share with them the love of God. And this puts these worshipers in the synagogue at ease. They shared these things that they had in common with them. And you have things in common with you. Some of you ladies, maybe you meet during the week with a, um, um, a, a mommy's group, you know, with little kids. And you, what do you call that? Mommy and me. Okay, yeah. You do that, you know, you go somewhere and, and you, you got, you're there with other young mothers and other little children and the little kids play and the moms sit there and gossip. And you, you do all those things that you have in common. Just kidding. I know you don't ever do that. But, but the, you, you share things with people you have in common. Guys hang out with, you know, people that they have, things they have in common. Um, uh, that's one of the things I love, the Andy Griffith show, you know. Um, I, I love to watch those old Andy, and, and we're, the men had things in common. You know, they hung out together in Floyd's Barbershop, you know. That was the place, you know, where the guys got together and gossiped and told their stories um, and, and had things in common. You, they... they they share these things in common with these people. Verse 17. The God of this people, Paul begins to explain to them. Let's go back to verse 16. Paul stands up and motions with them and says with his hand, men of Israel and you who fear God. You who fear God were not Jews. These, he's recognizing the Gentiles who are there who've been attracted to the God of Israel and they're hanging out learning. Some of them are converting over to Judaism, but they're Gentiles there. That's who he's talking to there. Brothers, fellow Jews, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors, exalted the people during their stay in the land of Egypt. What Paul is doing here now is he's built this bridge and he said, now let's go over some history that we're all familiar with. And he gives the history of the Jewish people, how they went to Egypt. And he's going to progress from the time of Moses. He led them out of Egypt with a mighty arm, verse 18. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. Then after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, now he's moved into the book of Jonah, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years from the time of Joseph till they entered the land. Paul says it's about 450 years. Remember, Paul is an expert in the Old Testament. He's a scholar. And they're all sitting there saying, oh, this guy, is, he's, he's good. And he's telling us what, you know, what we believe. This is great. After this, God gave them judges, you know, the book of Judges, until Samuel the prophet and then they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, after removing Saul, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. God said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man loyal to me who will carry out all my will. What happens here? What's Paul just done? Number four, you start with people where they are. If you're going to be a missionary, you start with people where they are, not where you want them to be. You start where they are. What does that mean? First of all, it means I have to know where they are. I've got to understand where they are. It used to be in this country, in the United States of America, a generation, a couple of generations ago, you could assume that everyone had at least had a knowledge of some Bible. Everyone had some church experience 
So when you brought up the gospel and salvation to people that you worked with and so forth, they knew a little bit, they kind of, yeah, I know what you're talking about. They might have not have known much, much, but they, they knew of Jesus. Not so true today. You go over to any elementary school and sit down and talk with children in December and ask them, and what is Christmas? And see how many of them tell you it's the birthday of Jesus. We've kind of lost track of that in our society and in our country. We're not who we used to be. So we know, have to know where are the people right now. It helps. And how do I find that out? You build relationships with them. You get to know them. And as you do that, you'll begin to uncover what they know and what they don't know. And then you move to the fact that you take what, where they are and you build off what they do know. Paul knew these people knew their Old Testament history. We'll see Paul do this with people that don't have any Old Testament knowledge. In chapter 17, when he goes to Athens and he's sitting there in this place called Mars Hill, surrounded with all the intellectuals of the intellectual capital of the world, Athens, Greece, and he looks around and they've got all these statues to all these gods, all these Greek mythological gods. And they've got one that says to the unknown God, because they didn't want to offend whoever he might be. And Paul takes them from where they are and he just says to them, he kind of wins them over, says, you know, guys, I'm looking around and guess what I figured out? He's never been there before. He doesn't know them. I figured out you guys are really religious, aren't you? Yeah, obviously. Look at all the gods we have. And he takes them from that point. He builds off what they do know. You know, he would tell them, there's a God that you don't know his name because you put up an idol to him. I'm here to tell you who he is. Boom, he sucks them right in and explains Jesus to them. It's an amazing story. We'll be there in a few weeks. Build off what they do know. Then, starting where they are, commend them for being conscious that God exists and has a plan. Paul just goes through their history with them, things that we agree on. And, you know, unless somebody's an atheist, at least he acknowledges the existence of God in some form. You don't have to agree with what that person believes. Well, tell me what you believe. And they may come with something that's way out in left field. You don't have to then, when they tell you that, look at them and say, well, that's about the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. Because if you do that, God's been trying to open this door for you to share the gospel. And what have you just done? You slam that door closed. They're not going to listen to another word you said because you just told them they're stupid. You don't have to agree with everything they say. But don't start out by being critical of it either because you don't want to close that door. Start with people where they are. Verse 23. From this man's descendants, he's moving now. You see where he's getting ready to go. Verse 23. From this man, David's descendants, according to the promise. What promise? Promise that God gave to Abraham that he gave to our people in the Old Testament. According to the promise, God brought the Savior Jesus to Israel. Before he came to public attention, John, John the Baptist, had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And then as John was completing his life's work, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not the one. I'm not the Messiah, was what John was saying to them. But look, someone is coming after me, and I'm not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. They'd never heard this before. But they're fascinated because... God has sent the promised Messiah, according to Paul and Barnabas. Brothers, sons of Abraham's race, 
He's talking to the Jews there in the congregation. And those among you who fear God, you Gentiles, the message of this salvation has been sent to us. It was like he dropped the bomb right there. Now we know how to get to God. For the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers, he goes back, he's talking about Jesus' time now, since they did not recognize him or the voices of the prophets, they didn't pay attention to the, to the Old Testament guys that proclaimed Messiah was coming. They didn't recognize him or the voices of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. They have fulfilled their words by condemning him, though they found no grounds for the death penalty. They asked Pilate to have him killed. And when they fulfilled all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree, speaking of the cross, and put him on in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. We ourselves, Paul says, speaking of him and Barnabas, we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus as it is written in the second psalm. You all know the second psalm, right? He says to all these, oh yeah, we know the second psalm. We know the psalms well, backwards and forwards. As it says in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Whoa, what does he do here? Number five, lead them to and through the gospel. Lead them to and through the gospel. The gospel is all here in what Paul just says in these verses we just read. It's all there. It's Christ-centered. And more than likely, you know, this is the first time, this is all brand new information to these Jews and these Gentiles here in this synagogue that Sabbath. And even if you and I, as missionaries, we're out talking with people and the conversation gets to where we get to open, open up and explain to them the gospel, and even if we start by telling our own story, which I think is a great way, to lead into the gospel. Here's what Christ has done for me. Let me just give you a, a couple things about that. If you choose to open up the conversation by telling your story, you have to make your story about Jesus or you miss the mark. Right? Salvation is impossible apart from Christ. You have not given the gospel if you make your story about the church. You have not given the gospel if you simply say, and God came into my life unless you explain what that means and you bring the gospel into that. We need to, as we are missionaries, expose them to the gospel of Christ. Well, what is that? Very quickly, and this follows Paul's outline. The gospel is Jesus came. You include the fact that Jesus came. And, you, you know, you can, if you do that and you're talking with somebody, Jesus, you, you know what Christmas is all about, right? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But Jesus came. Jesus lived a perfect life. I would say to somebody, and, and that's something no one else has ever done, and the only reason he was able to do that is because he was the Son of God. Jesus died an unjust death. He didn't deserve to die. He had committed no crimes, no wrong. And yet he was crucified. Let me ask you a question. Is that very fair? And of course, everybody's going to say, well, no, it's not fair. But he did that because he loves me. Because he was dying for me, for my sin. 
And then the gospel says Jesus was buried and God raised him. Why did that happen? That happened to prove who he was and that he's, he was who he said he was and every word he said was true. Then verse 34. Let's close up with this. We're not going to finish up this morning. We're going to get through one more point. Verse 34. He gives them the gospel and then he says to them, since he raised him from the dead, never to return to decay. He's never going back to the grave, to decay in the grave. He's spoken in this way. God has spoken. I will grant you the faithful covenant blessings made to David. He's quoting to them from the Old Testament. Therefore, he also says in another passage, quoting from the Psalms, you will not allow your Holy One to see decay. He's pulling from their Old Testament scriptures that they know He's, t- he's saying this is how it was fulfilled. For David, after serving his own generation in God's plan, David's their big hero. David fell asleep. He died and was buried with his fathers and decayed. David's body rotted in the grave just like everybody. But the one God raised up, Christ, did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you, and everyone who believes in him is justified from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. The law of Moses can't save us, guys. It's got to be through Christ, he tells them. So beware that, that what is said in the prophets doesn't happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away. He's saying, look, if you doubt this, If you don't think this is true, listen to what our own Bible says. He says to these Jewish people, says to us, Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe even if someone were to explain it to you. And Paul's saying to them, I'm here to explain it to you. Don't turn away from it. He's quoting from Habakkuk, their prophet. Number six. As missionaries, what do we do? We share the gospel, and then we need to make an appeal to believe. What is Paul doing here with them? He's inviting them now to accept Christ as their Savior. He's inviting them to consider what the implications of the gospel are, and the implications of the gospel are this. Sin has ruined us and separated us from God. You see, as we share Christ with people, they've got to admit that they have sin. If there's no sin, there's no need for a Savior, is there? I'm I'm not so bad. Oh, then you don't need to be saved. If there's no sin, there's no Savior. But sin has ruined all of us, separates from God. God loves us so much that he did something about it. He didn't just feel sorry for us. He didn't kick us out. He didn't say, I don't have nothing to do with them anymore. He did something about it. He cares about each one of us, including you and me. And then his only way to salvation is through his son, Jesus. God, and you think about this, God would not go to the extreme of letting his son be crucified on a cross, his son who never did anything wrong. He would never allow that to happen, to be crucified by evil people. He would never allow that to go to that extreme if there was another way possible to get to God. No. He loves us so much that he did something. And the only way is through Jesus. And then you end the appeal with with the big question, now, what would you like to do about that? What will you do about it? And of course, the answer is, why not believe? 
it has to be a personal response and belief because no one, I hear people tell me, well, I've always believed in God. Yeah, but you've not always been a Christian. What do you mean? There's got to be some place, time in your life when I realize I'm not a Christian, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. For me, it was when I was 10 years old. So we have to believe in Jesus Christ. We have to do something about that. You may have known as far back as you can remember about God and about Jesus, but there's got to be a time in your life when you finally said, yeah, that's it. Jesus is my Savior. We're going to pick up and finish the story next Sunday. And, and, and the part that, we, that we're leaving off today is really, really important, so I hope you come back uh, and you'll be here for that. But would you bow with me in prayer? This is so much, for me, God, it's so, so much uh, um, fun almost to read this story and to see how, they, how Paul and Barnabas did these things. It's important for us to realize that, that there are people like John Mark that are going to wimp out for whatever reason. But there are people like Barnabas and Paul who are going to stand courageous and address what needs to be addressed. I pray, Father, that you might fill us with your spirit so that we can be missionaries like these guys. Maybe right here in our hometown, maybe somewhere in another part of the world, but help us to carry the gospel everywhere we go and learn from what they did. In Christ's name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.